welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we're going to be the voice of bowhunting turkeys. And uh, spring is upon us. Turkey seasons are here or soon to be here across the country. And in spite of the great coronavirus quarantine, uh, I am going to get out there and, and chase turkeys just as much as I can. And I know both of my guests are going to do the very same. I've got uh, two really uh, great guys on the line today. And when it comes to turkey hunting, uh, hard to think of two people that we could have better. Uh, guest number one is uh, Mr. Matt Moret, uh, currently uh, uh, with the Pennsylvania Game Commission in the Communications Division. Uh, Matt is well known, I'm sure to many of you as a longtime Hunter Specialties Pro Staffer, uh, then uh, with uh, AV&X and Zinc Calls, uh, whom I believe he still has a relationship with, and just an all-around uh, turkey killer and champion turkey caller. Matt, welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's crazy how fast this year is coming. And, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we're just, everything's starting to bud out, and we're two weeks away, and it uh, everybody's got the itch for sure. That's right. That's right. And we're looking forward to it probably more than ever because of this lockdown that we've all been in. And uh, guest number two is uh, another uh, no stranger to the bow hunting community. And when it comes to uh, lopping turkeys' heads off with big, giant razor blade broadheads. This guy, he was doing that before it was cool. See, nowadays, that's the trendy thing to go bow hunt for turkeys and lop their heads off. But Mr. Brooks Johnson, see, he was a trendsetter and he's been lopping turkey heads off for a long time. Brooks is one of the co-creators of the original double bull blind and one of the pioneers of the modern bow hunting turkeys movement, if you will. I hope that's not too much flattery, Brooks, but Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Take, I'll take the flattery wherever I can get it. I'm stuck at home here with the wife and kids for weeks on end now, and the um, <laughs> the compliments just don't come as much as they used to. So, Are you telling me that your wife has seen all your tricks and is no longer impressed by any of them? You know, I was telling her one day, I, I said, I'm just, I, I'm so glad that during the quarantine that I'm stuck at home with somebody that I just look forward to seeing every day and just love being around and she looked back at me and she said, God, that, that must be nice. <laughs> Man, we, we will, we will certainly keep you in our prayers. Um, and I, it ain't that bad. <laughs> I, I think for, for probably all three of us, cause Matt and I are both in Pennsylvania and you're in Minnesota, right? Brooks. Yep. Yep. So, so, um, Let's see here. I don't think any, you know, your season probably hasn't opened up because it's still probably pretty cold up there and ours is a couple weeks out. I always feel jealous at this time of year because there's a bunch of people that have already been killing turkeys and you know it's going to happen when, uh, or you know it's happening when all of a sudden your news feed on your Instagram and your Facebook and all that, a whole bunch of dead, dead turkeys start showing up. 
No, it's disgusting. I had my boy, my middle boy turned 16 the end of this month, and we had plans, especially when they locked us down. We were going to take off like you're not supposed to and, and go, go hole up out in Nebraska and chase birds out there because he's never been there. And then they, you know, they, of course, they stopped selling licenses there, so that's a, that's a done deal. But we actually start here in Minnesota tomorrow morning at, at, at sunup is when our season starts. So we're going, we'll be out there bright and early in the cold tomorrow morning. So, yeah, I'm jealous of you, Brooks. You guys are getting a start even before Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you, Matt, uh, you know, at one time, you and I would have both probably been on the same page wondering how come our, our season starts so late now that you work for the Game Commission. I'm going to I'm going to blame it on you. I'm in the middle of a coronavirus <laughs> lockdown here, man. I want to get out there and hunt birds. How come I have to wait two more weeks? Man, I'm I'm with you on that, Christian, because I've been down that same road most of my career. I've always thought we came in too late and and, and when I got behind these walls over here I learned a lot more about science and and, you know Pennsylvania as as a rule but we have 250,000 turkey hunters in this state and and that's a big reason a lot of states they just don't even come close I mean we're number one in the country when it comes to turkey hunting and if we put that pressure into our woods when those hens are in their in their peak breeding cycle it would definitely over time would affect uh, you know our population so in science, what they're trying to do is, is bring turkey season in once the majority of the hens have been successfully bred and, you know, hopefully getting into that incubation period where they're, you know, trying to raise a clutch of, of young ones. And, and the biggest thing is just to make sure our hens get bred and have a chance to get bred. And, and to be honest with you, it's working because managing wildlife is pretty easy. And the hardest thing to do is manage the hunters and, and help them understand and help us all get on the same page you know, there's no doubt. I mean, turkeys are, are here. I can tell you what they're doing even in Southern Pennsylvania, you know, they're, they're just now getting broke up good and definitely in that breeding phase. And, you know, we're again, two weeks away, it should be, you know, most of those hens have had a chance to visit a gobbler. So things are, things are looking really bright. The, the bottom line is a lot of people think our season being late that the, the, the end of the season is, you know, they're done and everything like that. Our turkeys are breeding. If you look at the poults that, that, uh, we had this past fall and what's coming in the spring, we had a lot of late season action last year, even into the month of June and probably into the, you know, the beginning of July. So you don't get all that late season. You don't get all those two-year-olds going crazy, but those old long spur turkeys that are really tough to get it, get into early, those guys become pretty vulnerable at the end of the year. So, I mean, it's a catch 22 a little bit. It's, it's the season designed around science more than how easy it would be to go out there early in the year when, when, you know, and when all that goblin action is. So, you know, you just got to look at our state, our land mass and our number of hunters. Well, let's, uh, I think what you said is a good segue to this, and, and you know, I'm going to keep it with you here on this one, Matt. So we've got two weeks until the season opens. What, uh, for, for those who are listening who are also, you know, not hunting already or not about to hunt like Brooks there, I'm shutting you out, Brooks, because I'm still mad at you. You get to go <laughs> hunting tomorrow. Uh, for those of us who still have legally. a couple. Yeah, legally. Well, that's right. I didn't say I wasn't going to be out tomorrow, too, buddy. Um what what should yeah, I'm we in be marketing? Not long for <laughs> uh, you. Talk, I know you talk. Uh, what what should we be doing, Matt, for these next couple of weeks to get ready for the season? What are your top scouting tips for for turkeys, and how do we kind of get a game plan together for opening day? Well, you know, this year is a great year, and everybody's figuring out things that they probably have not done or missed or stopped doing because 
we've been so busy in life and, and like myself, man, I've, I've already been to four States by now. And, and what I've done this year is something that I went back to my roots and got out there in the woods, you know, early morning, just listening to turkeys and, and, you know, here in, in our state with our season coming in around the 1st of May, those last two weeks of April are, are crucial because those gobblers have been, you know, they're breaking up, they're moving, they're changing. They change a whole lot in these last two weeks, you know, when the, when turkeys are really peak breed, breeding time. So get out there and listen, learn your woods. If it's a new place, what we're going through right now as a country, there's no better way to get up in the morning and, and watch a spring morning unfold and listen. I, I can't tell you how much homework that you can just go out there by just spending time using your ears and listening to what's going on in the mornings or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. The worst thing you can do is go out there and mess with these turkeys. You know, we're all itching at it and, you know, going out and we want to call one in, but you know, I'm not saying that turkeys are smart because they're not smart. They're just real good at staying away from, from predators. And if we educate them to the point where they know that we're after them, they get tougher and tougher. You know, when you, when we dump a lot of people in the woods, whether it's deer, turkey, or whatever, like we do here in this state, our, our animals, they get used to being chased. So, you know, be non-intrusive, listen, go out and look for sign. If you've got turkeys on your place, stay with them here for the next couple of weeks to make sure they're, they're not moving on and just, just study their habits. That's the biggest thing that I can say. And, you know, every time you go out there, if you can learn something, bring back something with you, the littlest things from a food source to where they might be getting water to places they like to roost, that kind of information, just store it in your in your mind, and you'll be a, you'll have a lot more successful season. How how close do you want to get to turkeys before the season starts, Matt? You talk about going out and listening, and of course, you can hear turkeys typically, you know, on a calm morning from quite a distance away. Um, you know, how, how how close do you really need to get to get your scouting done? Man, you know, it's it's. For us here, it's a little easier in, in the lower part of the state where we got, you know, big ridges, mountains, and I don't like to get too close personally because no leaves out in the trees. You can hear them a country mile, you know, this time of year, and obviously the sound carries good, and he's going to get up there and gobble where he knows that hens all over the country can hear him gobble because that's what he's trying to do is attract girlfriends. So I don't try to push it every once in a while an accident happens, and, you know, I try to close my eyes like we all do, and hopefully they don't they don't see us. But you're you're better off, you know, just giving him his time and his distance and, and listening from, you know, as far away as possible that I try to tell folks. And plus, if you get on a good listening point, a high point in this country, you might hear some turkeys gobbling somewhere else that you can get to or get permission or public or what have you. So I try to get the best places to listen early in the morning that I can hear a long ways, you know, and whether it's in a valley where I can hear both sides of a mountain or what have you. And, you know, this time of year, you can hear gobble, you train yourself to hear him gobble way off and, you know, just don't push him, don't push it in his, in his house where he lives every day. That's what I try to tell folks. Now, Brooks, what about, you know, as a bow hunter and somebody who's probably doing a lot of hunting from a blind, um, you know, if you generally know where turkeys are, uh, which is what Matt's talking about, that's great starting point. And if you're hunting with a shotgun, you're obviously able to move around pretty freely. Uh, you can maybe close in on some birds and, and set up and start calling. If you're bow hunting, you can't necessarily constantly be moving. Uh, and, you know, especially if you're going to hunt in a blind. So tell me about your scouting process and what are you looking for uh, in terms of uh, an area where you kind of maybe want to make your make your blind? And um, how, how soon ahead of the season, you know, are you setting things up or are you just basically going out every day and putting your blind up and hunting? No, we, 
we put a lot of miles on in the truck. I mean, nine times out of the 10, when we're going to set up to go turkey hunting with a bow, um, especially here at home, when I have the luxury of time to be able to scout, is I, I, I have with about 70 or 80% confidence that wherever I set up, there's going to be a group of birds there within the next two, three, four hours coming in just because we've seen them there two, three days in a row or two, three times a week or pretty consistently when you drive by there. So when we pattern those birds and we know we're there and, and we, we get into their room, um, most of the time, if I can, I'll wait for the third, third nice day of weather to go set up on them, get there a few hours before I, they have been getting there. And more often than not, we're going to get birds within 40 yards that first day we hunt out there. So we're, we're really trying to pin down hard exactly where they want to be so we can be a part of their day instead of trying to create the whole day. So if I'm, I'm like reading in between the lines as you're talking and trying to guess uh, where you're setting up, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, you're not really setting up right on a roost. You're somewhere where they're kind of meandering to after the fly down. Would that be correct? The way I hunt now, when I pattern those birds, typically it's a more open area. When I'm in a more open area, when I call to those birds, when they see my decoy, I got the binoculars up. You can watch the body language of that bird when he reacts. And if it just looks like it's not going to happen, we won't, we won't force the issue at all. We'll just let him go and come back and try it again tomorrow. If it looks like he's interested, then we play our cards that way. But we're, we're spending enough time doing homework on the areas that these birds are knocking down permission that all we have to do is get in there on the right day when they're ready to play and they're going to they're gonna come in and it's going to happen. Well, that's one of the funny things about turkey hunting, isn't it? I, I always say that to me, turkey hunting and elk hunting are very, very similar uh, in that, you know, obviously you got one animal that weighs like 12 pounds and one that weighs 900. But uh, when, when a turkey or an elk wants to die, okay, wants to play, as you would say, Brooks, I mean, you could just go out there and kill one like like it was the easiest thing in the world and 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 you know if you'd never done it before and you happen to go out on one of those days you think to yourself man there's nothing to this i can't believe yep. that people can go out and not kill a turkey or an elk and then there's yep. like the other 90 percent of the days where it's the exact opposite and you're like i can't believe anyone ever killed one of these things ever because it's it's impossible because yep. you can be out there on days when they they don't talk and they won't come and and it's just the way that it is and man if anybody could figure out who controls that switch that turns on and off we'd all be uh a lot more successful but uh, patience is the name of the game now another thing you said there brooks you talked about just an offhanded comment. You said the third consecutive day of nice weather. Um, talk to me a little bit more about that because I picked right up on that and I was like, what is the significance of this and what do you mean by nice weather? So what are the conditions that you're looking for and why is it the third consecutive day that's so much more successful than other times? It just I, I don't know what it is, but over the years playing with these birds. Cause once, once we get on a pot of birds and we're watching them, uh, we don't want to go in there and mess it up. And we've just found that if you pick that third, nice, just, just nice weather where you want to be outside going for a walk or wide riding your bike, or taking a picnic or going out in the boat, you, you pick that third, nice day of weather and you can really move the turkeys and make them do things that they won't do on a crappy rainy day or a windy day or a snowy day. And, and for some reason, just that third, nice day, we're able to much more consistently 
get those birds into the decoys and get them to do exactly what we want to do, get them to act like a turkey. If we go out there in them crummy, cloudy days, we, we just won't do it because we just don't enjoy the success we have on that third consecutive day of nice turkey spring weather. Matt, what's your feeling about weather and turkey hunting? You've obviously done, uh, you've probably done just about more turkey hunting than any other hunter alive today. I mean, there might be a small group of other folks who could stand next to you, but it's not a very good big group. And you've hunted turkeys in, you know, probably 30 plus states and and other countries and all kinds of weather. What, what do you see as a common theme for the best success? Well, like Brooke said, I mean, it, I've never really dialed it down to that. And, you know, you know, when you're, when you're bow hunting turkeys and you got to be pretty much on that X where between where he is and where he wants to be, I mean, you know, your, your scouting elevates as you're, as you're bow hunting turkeys, because you, you got to get them, closer and more relaxed and you know the, the name of the game but what what brooks said makes a lot of sense because it's a turkey's a survivalist you know when ever since that pulse hatched out of that egg you know mama hen is teaching them that everything out there is going to eat them so when the weather gets bad obviously just like us i mean if, if you just relate it to human life when it's raining out there i mean we can't hear nothing and it's kind of dreary and it stinks and i mean you, you just you're not as comfortable as you are if it's nice so once they get acclimated to three beautiful days, they do stuff against the grain. They make mistakes. And I, I, I think that makes perfect sense with what Brooks said, you know, it's when you're looking at the weather forecast, you know, for us, for my life, you know, we get somewhere and we hunt three or four days and roll onto the next place. You don't always have that luxury. So you got to try to, we're out there trying to make things happen. And, and, you know, to me, a turkey, they're going to try to mate no matter what. I mean, rain, snow, sleet, hail, it doesn't matter. But you got to use common sense. Obviously, if it's real windy and you got hill conditions or places where turkeys can get out of the wind, you want to concentrate your efforts there. And that's where scouting comes into play. And, you know, Brooks, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure to hunt in Minnesota. And if you look at the wild turkeys come back, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those states are just tremendous. And, you know, not too long ago, really, in, in my lifetime, and I'm getting old, though, but, you know, places in that part of the world didn't have turkeys. And today their populations are through the roof. I mean, um, Minnesota is a, a great state and it's just proof how important conservation is. And when we join in and uh, become one as conservationists, as hunters and, and what we can do, the power of what we got. And, and, you know, Minnesota being a more open state, you can use your eyes a lot better. Where here in Pennsylvania, you know, the ag isn't quite there i mean we have a lot of agriculture but it's broke up with mountains and hills and all that where you gotta you know you gotta use the terrain and, and the the woods per se you know and it's for us you know when the weather gets bad you get to those open areas in this part of the world because the turkeys are getting out there where they can see better and stay away from danger even though it's mating season we got to remember that those turkeys are trying to stay away from things that are going to eat them and it you know like I, I love what he just said what brooks just said because Basically, what's happening is they're becoming more comfortable with the nicer weather, just like us. You go outside on a bright, sunny day, you feel good. If it's two days in a row, man, you feel like a million bucks by day three, and I'd, I'd say it's the same thing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, something that you touched on there, Matt, and that is when you're bow hunting for turkeys, you're going to want them to be you know, probably closer than you might uh, when you're shotgun hunting. And I know... Um, you know, uh, 
nowadays with the, the, the loads, the turkey loads that we have and the choke tubes that we have, uh, I think it's not probably unusual for guys to maybe be killing birds from, you know, 40, 50 yards pretty regularly with a shotgun, probably farther, Matt, you could tell me. Um, but for bow hunting, I, I would say that if I ask Brooks and I, I'll throw it to you, Brooks, you know, you typically want to maybe have that bird at 10, 15 yards, uh, maybe even closer sometimes when you're in that blind. Um, what is a typical ideal uh, shot distance for you, Brooks, for, you know, shooting a turkey with a bow? Well, I'm still hunting everything with a recurve. So I'm killing all my birds under five yards. I mean, there's, there's times where we can, we can grab the turkey decoy from inside the blind and bring it back in with us if we want to change the setup a little bit. So, I mean, I, I tell guys, if they're going to come to the, I mean, when I'm hunting turkeys, they're going to come to the decoys. My turkeys are, I, I'm out there because I want them to dance. I like them to interact with the decoys. Nine times out of 10, they've already touched the decoy before I kill them. So why would I put that decoy at 15 yards when, I, when, when, when that turkey wants to play with me, he's going to come into five yards. So the, 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 the time it can get too close is, and, you know, we'll talk about it too, is when guys want to shoot the big head lopping broadheads or shoot some kind of mechanicals that don't fly through the net or you need a, a big opening to shoot. If you get the bird too close, they might see you moving around inside the blind and then it could be game over. So me, I'm hunting through the net most of the time with my recurve currently now. So it, it's five yards and under, but it's, it's got to be close enough where you can hit a tennis ball or hit that bird's head with a bow and arrow, or otherwise your decoys are just too far away. So, so with that being said, uh, let me shift back to Matt and talk about um, calling and bringing a bird in, you know, that close, say 5, 10, 15 yards, you know, even closer versus what you might have with a shotgun hunter because, you know, Brooks said something earlier, Matt, about – you know, you just don't want to mess with birds when they don't want to do what you want them to do. You know, you have those days that they're just a little bit leery. And when you're bow hunting, you're not going to have the success getting them as close as you need. Whereas I think we all, you know, most of us who turkey hunt uh, with a bow have probably done a bunch of turkey hunting with shotgun too. And, you know, when you're out there with shotgun, you can sometimes coax even those wary birds. They might not come and run and right to you, but you work them for a while and maybe, you know, they're kind of skirting, skirting you, but they're gradually getting more curious and you, you eventually bring them close enough to get a shot with your shotgun. Whereas with the bow, you know, you've got to get them that much closer. So talk about the mindset when it comes to calling Matt where you might be playing it a little bit differently if you're bow hunting versus shotgun hunting. Well, it, it, there, there's definitely a difference. And, and to me, what, what Brooks does, that's what I try to do, whether if I have a shotgun, a bow, or a slingshot, or a rock in my hand. And that's just my personal way that I like to do it. I like turkeys close. Because if you've ever been five yards from a strutting turkey when he drums and it shakes the ground, it's a pretty awesome experience. And it's awesome. Even though even though these, and I'm going to go against the grain a second because it's just my personal belief. I think any, you know, as, as a bow hunting, you know, I love the bow hunt. I love to shoot a turkey with a gun. It doesn't matter. But I like to, I like the experience of calling that turkey up, pulling him, and whether I got decoys or not decoys, and, you know, nine times out of ten I'm using decoys, I want him close. I want, I want to fool that turkey. I want him to commit and do the dance, like Brooke said. 
And the biggest thing with decoys, I think, where a lot of hunters, no matter what weapon you're hunting with, is if you know that turkey's committed, you called him up and he sees the decoy and he's committed to your decoys, you, you can tell by, like, like Brooke said, by their body language, the worst thing you can do is keep calling to him. Because his natural ask, instinct is, hey, that hen's supposed to come to me. So he'll stand out there at 100 yards or 70 yards, especially if you can see it a long ways, and he'll strut and do everything. And if he's a little bit of a lesser turkey or has some subordinate anymore, he doesn't want to fight, and you got a gobbler decoy, he doesn't want to get beat up. So he's going to give that, that distance and, and honor the, the pecking order a lot of times. To me, when I get a turkey you know, cranked up and I know that you know I've, I've changed the game, I got him coming towards me, if I know he can see my location, whether I got decoys or whatever, I, I usually don't call to him too much to see what he's going to do. I want him to make the move. And if I can see that he's committed, you know, nine times out of ten, if you just got a hen decoy, he's going to strut and show off and come in slow. When they commit to a gobbler decoy or a Jake decoy, and you're and you're really getting in his head with that pecking order, um, usually they commit pretty hard and fast. But you know, there's lots of similarities. In, you know, and, and no doubt Brooks and, and Double Bull changed the game. Um, when we figured out that a turkey can't see you inside a blind and you can stay hidden, and he'll walk up there and just about, and I'm sure y'all had him come in the blind, Brooks. But you know, that was a game changer. The other game changer were real looking decoys, whether it's mounted decoys, mounted hens, or the real stuff that's, that's being made on the market today. And I see it so much over social media. They say decoys don't make a difference. I'm here to tell you they do make a difference. They, the, the more your turkeys look like a, the more your decoys look like a turkey, uh, down to even some of the body postures that, that are out there, there's a huge difference. And, and if you're going to use decoys, it pays to get the stuff that, that looks good and, 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 especially on, on turkeys that have been hunting a long time, when they don't know it's not a real hen, it makes a difference. There's no doubt in my mind. Night and day. Yeah, Brooks, why don't you continue on that and talk about, you know, not only maybe the, the kinds of decoys that you like to use, but talk about your decoy setup strategies when it comes to your, your bow hunting. Yeah, I've been running a lone Jake for probably the last over a decade. That's all I've ever used is the semi-strut Jake for the past decade. I haven't run a hen for 10 years. And I'm going to tell you right now, if they would have had the, the Dave Smiths, the Avian X's, the Cali Morris's, those style of decoys, when, when we did our run with the ground blinds from 95 to 2009 or whatever it was, if we would have had that quality of decoy in front of us, I, I predict if, if we wouldn't have killed 10 times more birds, we would have killed them 10 times as fast. The difference in the hunts with those super realists, we, we rarely have turkeys, cut, you know, using the old feather flex and the buck wing. And, and it was maybe twice per season when those turkeys would come in and make contact with the decoys. When, when you use a realistic decoy now and the technology they put into those things and how the paint sticks to them and how long they last and how realistic they are, the, the, the amount of interaction that those birds will do and make contact with those decoys, it, it's at least 10 times greater. It's probably more than that. It's, it's, you know, between that and the ground blinds, I think that's two of the biggest changes I've for turkey hunting, as far as putting the advantage, tipping the odds in your favor, those realistic decoys are unbelievable. If you would have had those back then, Brooks, you guys would have been able to sell double bull for 10 million instead of 5 million. I, 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 I'm not, I'm serious. It would have been, 
it, it would have been astronomical. <laughs> it's just those, those, it's cheating, man. You put those, you put the, you scout your turkeys and put a ground blind and a realistic decoy in in the equation with the right weather. It's cheating. It's just cheating. It's I mean, so, it's fun, but it's cheating. So you only it's use no one. Doubt, but both of those, both of those are game changers. I mean, what what Brooks said, it's, there's no doubt. I mean, and if you look at if you look at states at state organization, and I and I I try to tell this to our turkey biologists all the time. You know, a lot of these states. We're, we're on a we're on a a plane right now where a lot of things are leveling off and populations are down and up. One thing to take in mind is because of ground blinds and realistic decoys, the success ratio, the percentage is way up, and you really got to take that into consideration a lot of times when you're looking at populations in places like Kansas and in you know southern Iowa where they're, they're seeing some decline in certain areas. I'm not saying I'm not a biologist, so I don't know, but you know, when they're, when they're basing it off 10 or 12% success ratio with blinds and decoys, that, that success has gone through the roof and and it's just that the information's out there and definitely game changers. So you're only running a single decoy Brooks. Where do you set your Jake decoy? How, how close to your blind and what orientation do you use? You know, I, I used to, I just use a Jake five yards from the blind, maybe closer I always used the, the the wisdom, and we taught it, we preached it, was that you would point that Jake decoy at the blind because um, we wanted to make sure, the gobbler wanted to make eye contact with that Jake to try to intimidate him and scare him away. So if you pointed the decoy at the blind, if that gobbler really wanted to make sure the Jake saw him, he had to get between you and the blind or very close. So, and it, it seemed like the wisdom to preach. And I think, Matt, didn't, didn't AB&X come out with a um, Jake decoy this year, last year, or something's got that slight head tilt to it or not? We do. We, we come out with one that you could change the heads where it's tucked, and then we, we have another head that if, if you look at a subdominant gobbler, they'll, they'll put that head up in the air to make themselves look bigger or whatever yep. the reason is that you can change that head. And, and, and that's exactly what we were looking at is just different body postures, different ways to attract. And it, you know, when you look at your decoy and you really look at it as an attraction or a call, if you will, um, it changes your whole perspective of a decoy. And when you get that in depth with wing position and feather position, and just like you said, we watch that turkey's body language to see if he's interested. There's no doubt that turkeys can see body language as well. Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, it, because of that, I, I take that the, the Dakota decoy I was hunting over same with the avian i think they got the same concept it's that when, when that jake's got his head tilted up in the air a little bit it's almost a sign to me that he's not he's not super confident that he's the man and like matt said he's probably trying to make himself look a little taller but i think the gobblers recognize that body language as as a nervous jake so where i used to point the decoys toward the blind i now point that jake decoy where i think that gobbler's coming from because i want that gobbler to come in see that Jake decoy, see that slight head tilt that he's got up in the air like that, recognize that body language and go, Oh, he's a nervous decoy. I'm going in there. I'm going to break this up. I'm going to kick him out of here. And it, there's so many theories and stories on what works, you know, breeding setups, two hens, one Jake, blah, full, full strut, not a full strut, all kinds of different things. Everybody's got their own opinion on it. And there's, I'm sure the science based backing it, but my thoughts are, with the decoy that I run now with the head tilted up in the air like that is I will call like a hen that gobbler's coming to look for the hen. 
when the gobbler shows up, I'm done calling because I don't have a hen decoy anymore. My decoy has to do the work now. My hope is and my thought is that when that gobbler enters that open area where I'm used to seeing him, looking for that hen that he wants to strut for, she's not there. Who's there? A nervous Jake. A nervous Jake for him to run off. And I've enjoyed tremendous success bow hunting turkeys like that for the past six, seven years. I mean, it's the odds of us getting a turkey in close when I follow that whole formula, which I'm lucky to do. You know, I have to take days off. I spend more time scouting than hunting now with the people I hunt with in the local area. But when we know where those birds are, we pick that day and we use that formula. Our success rate, like Matt talked about, if the guy makes the shot, we're running 75, 80% on killing those turkeys that first day in. Wow. Hey, you, and you guys touched on you guys touched on something during that little back and forth that I, I kind of want to talk about briefly too. I'll let you guys comment on this, but I, I don't remember which one of you it was. But you said how um, you know that Jake isn't really sure that he's the man, and that just got me thinking about turkeys and their attitudes and the way they interact with one another. And man, turkeys are just the meanest, nastiest things to each other, and they all hate each other's guts. And I think every single one of them wants to be the man. And uh, that's kind of like, if you just keep that in mind, that, you know, that just explains so much about why these turkeys do what they do. Well, a lot of, I'm going to weigh in on, on what Brooks said too, because it's, it's I, I agree a, a million percent. If I had one decoy to carry, the rest of my life to turkey hunt it wouldn't be a hen it would be a it would be a jake that's a submissive pose no no um not hardly any strut in it you know like a quarter we, we call avian x call it a quarter strut where he's not showing any kind of dominance whatsoever and like like brooks said a nervous or a, a, a jake that's kind of honor honoring that pecking order but if you relate it to any of wildlife deer squirrels i don't care what it is there's that pecking order out there including human beings and you know there's people that I mean, just face it, if a, if a fight breaks out somewhere, they're jumping in the middle of it, and there's a whole bunch of people that would, like, cower and walk away, and, and there's just different there's different temperaments in that turkey's behavior. But once, you know, in all of us as in high school, we'd have taken a butt kicking to get a date with the prettiest girl out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's kind of turkeys. In mating season, that's what they're doing. I mean, they're trying to get a date, and sometimes, you know, the, the juice is worth the squeeze until you get too many wings upside his head. And then, you know, then he'll just shy away. But, you know, no doubt that, and I didn't mean to, to uh, cut your next question off, Christian, but that, that Jake is so important. And, and then when you look at the calling side of things and you think about this, because, you know, what, what we're doing, we're going out there and making hen sounds most of the time. And we're trying to sound like we're trying to sound like, a you know, the prettiest little hen out there in the woods. And all of a sudden he comes in the field and sees Brooks's Jake his mindset changes. It goes from mating and getting a date to like, I'm going to whoop this guy's butt, but you can do that in your calling as well, where you're, you know, a lot of people overlook submissive or subdominant gobbler talk like Jake's. I mean, a lot of, all of us have heard Jake's gobble out there and they will gobble and, and they can breed hens and they can be dominant turkeys, especially when there's a bunch of them. But in, in, in most of the time that Jake isn't a dominant turkey and he wants to gobble but he's gotten beat up so much that he, he's forced to yelp. And that Jake yelp and that Jake talk is killer in the spring woods. And again, you're, then you're hitting on both sides of them. You're hitting on that mating side and, oh man, I, I hear uh, that Jake's over there with that hen that sounds so pretty. I got to get over there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's something that you can really look at in your calling side of it. And, you know, in today's world, YouTube and all the information that's out there, I mean, you could, 
you can Google Jake Yelp and there's 10,000 variations and, you know, don't, don't ever be scared to try that. Now, when you gobble at a turkey, number one, it's, it's what people want to hear out there when they're chasing. That's, you know, it's a safety factor, but number two, that gobble is just like a strutting gobbler decoy and they work. They have their time that they're awesome, but you got to remember that strut and the the position of, of a gobbler when he's strutting, that's his dominant, that's his dominant body posture. The gobble's the same thing. It's his dominant vocalization. And when he does that, there's a lot of turkeys that'll shy away from it because they're subdominant birds. Yeah. What's the, uh, What's the difference between a, a Jake Yelp and a and a hen Yelp? Do you use the same calls to produce that, and and how do you vary that, Matt? Yeah, it, on a mouth call, it, it, it's it's a little bit of cadence difference. It's just a little slower. Of course, it's deeper and and got a little more rasp. And um, on like a friction call or a box call, it's it's simple because that call has already got turkey built into it. And like on a slate or a glass, if you get closer to the middle, you can deeper the tone. I mean, you can you can get it down to that Jake octave and just slow the rhythm down. On a, on a two-sided box call, one side's high, one side's low pitch. Just hit that low pitch and just slow your rhythm down. It's it's very very simple, and and sometimes you can't even tell the difference. Um, basically, if you slow it down a little bit, make it a little deeper, uh, it's gonna it's in you know short sequence two three yelps. Just a lot of people like. You know, Harold Knight, you call it a Jake Calc. Instead of a, you know, where a hen's, Jake's like, you know, just slow it down and, 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 and calc it, if you will. Brooks, one thing that I often tell people about bow hunting for turkeys, and this is probably because I'm such a mediocre caller, is that you don't have to do a ton of calling, especially if you're in uh, the right spot. And, you know, I think you've kind of touched on that because you've talked about, um, you know, really not calling much, if at all, once you feel like the turkeys are committing to your decoy. And so I'm just wondering about how much calling you do uh, before you can see birds. Um, You know, maybe you can hear some birds gobbling off in the distance, but maybe you just suspect there are some turkeys nearby based on your scouting. How often do you call when you're just sitting in your blind waiting? And what kind of calling do you do? I'm not I'm not an accomplished turkey caller. I would never even attempt to set foot on stage like Matt does and try to win a competition because there's no way I could pull it off. I've never been proficient with the diaphragm call. Um, I, I lose too much stuff to carry the maintenance tools along for a slate call. I have about six box calls in my turkey pack. That's all I've used for 20 years. And um, I mean, if I'm blind calling this every 15 minutes, um, if I can see the birds, I might quiet it down a little bit, just do some purrs and clucks, but I'm not calling is not a huge part of the, of the way that I archery hunt turkeys. Of course, I'm still going to do it. I never go to the woods without a call because I mean, if you're on a call and you get a bird to gobble at you, what's better than that? I mean, you're, you're talking to that turkey. It's awesome. If, can I go to the woods and kill turkeys without a turkey call? Yeah. Um, if, if, if I didn't have a turkey call, would I try calling with my, with my voice or something like that where it didn't sound right? No. But I'm just, it's just not a huge part of the way I hunt turkeys because I spend so much time before the hunt that I'm, pretty confident that it would happen without it but but yeah, getting a bird to answer you is just there, there's nothing better than talking to a turkey out in the woods 
Do you usually set up brooks in uh, fields or in the woods or or some of both? No, I'm 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 about ninety eight percent in the field because just the way I just the way I scout the turkeys, it's too hard for me to pattern them in the woods. I can't see them in there. I can see them out in the field. I can see where they're coming from. I can see where they're going. I know what time of day they're there. I can drive by in the truck or I can peek over a hill from the from the property that I'm going to look at and sit there and watch. So, I mean, 98% of the time I'm in an open area and um, if I can be, and I can see those turkeys coming from a ways off. Let's talk about this, guys. Let's talk about sort of sealing the deal on these turkeys. I know, um, you know, myself and probably just about everybody, you know, when you first uh, start turkey hunting and you uh, get those first few birds that actually come into shooting range. And this doesn't really matter if you're hunting with a bow or a, or a gun, uh, you know, draw an analogy to deer hunting. Uh, if you, if you have a, a, a good buck come into, come into bow range, you're not typically, uh, just telling yourself, well, gee, now he's 20 yards away. Let me just sit back and enjoy this a while and watch him and admire him and let him dance around for me before I take the shot. No, 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 no. I mean, if I'm out there in November bow hunting deer and I get a buck that comes into range, I mean, I guarantee you I am letting the arrow fly just as soon as I can get a good angle and get my pin on those vitals and it's done. And so I think most of us, if you were a deer hunter before you started getting into turkey hunting you kind of have that same mindset and I, I mean i shot the turkeys that i killed you know whether it was with a gun or a bow pretty much shoot them as soon as i could shoot them and then as i got a little bit more experience you get to do what you know brooks talked about what i know that you've done tons matt where you're actually like hey these birds have committed to the decoys yeah they're not going to hang around forever but they're not in any hurry they don't have any idea we're here and we can actually sit here for five minutes and watch them beat the decoy up fight with each other maybe try and breed that hen decoy and and that's a lot of fun um talk about that mindset how do you know when it's time to take your shot and when it's okay to just kind of sit there and enjoy brooks why don't you start Let me go okay My, the, the way i you know back in the back in the day we were filming hunts and you were getting an opportunity every two or three days to, to kill a turkey you'd try to milk the footage as much as you could because i was trying to sell product you know I was, I was having a great time hunting but i was trying to sell product and you had to put it you know you had to have successful hunts now the last decade, because I'm not doing that, it, it gave me the opportunity to just kind of kick back. And I don't, I don't have to kill that turkey anymore. And when I go, the, the one thing I've really learned by doing that is I want the, I, I want to watch as much as I can. And there's so many pieces of body language you can watch to see if they're ready to leave. The, the first thing I watch is their, their deuce nude that hangs over their beak. If that thing is hanging low and dangling, that turkey ain't going nowhere. He owns the world. He's staying there. The second that thing points straight up in the air and gets short and stiff and pointing straight up, you better be ready to take the shot. Um, if, if the turkeys are standing around and they, and they fold their wings across their back, they're probably getting ready to go for a walk. And it's either into your decoys or away from you. So I watch that really close, too. Um, if the turkeys are doing a lot more standing straight up in the air versus their head low to the ground, like they're looking for something, you got problems. So if none of those things happen, if that bird's relaxed and he comes in the decoys, what I found with the realistic decoys is if you let those turkeys make contact with your decoy, if they'll jab it with their wing, push up against it with their chest, peck it, um, you know, kick it, do whatever. If you let that turkey make contact with the decoy and you miss your first shot with the bow and arrow, don't freak out. 
because at least five times out of 10, you're getting another chance. I had, when I took my kid out when he was probably, he was probably eight on this hunt. And we had a, we had a big Tom come in, started fighting with the deke. I told him to shoot, he was probably shooting a 30 pound bow and he broke the turkey's wing. Okay. Hit it on the wing, but broke the turkey's wing. That turkey ran off 15 yards, turned around, came back and started fighting the decoy again, and he killed it. We were on another hunt where I had a guy that the Tom was pushing against the decoy and fighting with the decoy. Turkey's at five yards, he's shooting a recurve. He shot and he buried the arrow into the decoy, okay? Made the loudest plastic thump you ever heard, and there's about 27 inches of arrow sticking out of this decoy. That turkey ran off 20 yards, 25 yards, stopped and looked for a little bit, came back in to come beat on the turkey again, and he killed that turkey. So there, there's something about and I'm sure it's the same as Matt was talking about with your high school bar fights. I mean, once that fight's on and that adrenaline's flowing, be it a human or a deer or a turkey, the whole world changes. And you got one thing in mind, and that's self-preservation and, and finishing that fight and coming out on top. And you let those turkeys initiate that fight with that, with that decoy, if you can get them to the point where you tip their mind over to that point where they want to battle with that decoy, you you've really sealed the deal that not, a, you're going to get the best show in the world right there. I mean, you, you, you wash this language, you're letting it happen. You, you get to watch the whole thing. But now second fold is that, and if there's multiple decoys in the bunch, you got two guys, two guys hunting more, the better. But I, I've seen so many opportunities that you think that would have been, you know, would have been squandered if we would have shot when that bird was coming in and spooked it out of there before they tripped, uh, tripped off in that adrenaline trip. But if you let it happen, you get the show and you almost sealed the deal that you're going to go home with that turkey. Yeah. You have anything to add, Matt, on that kind of deciding when well, to take, it, take your shot. And, and, you know, you and I, Christian, come from the same cloth because we're Pennsylvania guys and, and, you know, we're taught, man, when you get the opportunity, you let it rip. And, you know, my, younger life if, if one hit where i knew that i could kill him no matter what i had in my hand i was shooting in in my older age i'm like brooks i like to watch the whole thing happen and, and and just like he said when they draw up you know a lot of times we mistake an alerted turkey for one that's just looking around but when that snood gets pulled back and and he pops that wing i know that something's not right he doesn't like something not necessarily you know, clucking or alarm putting it's, it's pure body language. When he slicks back, he's getting himself ready to get out of there. He's, he's hooking them up and, and letting it ride. And that's the time to get it. But with a bow to me, the best shot in the world is one that's relaxed and, you know, doesn't have a clue what's going on. And, and, you know, obviously like Brooks said, there's a great chance if, if the first, it doesn't happen, you, you, there's a second opportunity or another gobbler comes in there and does something and changes his mind again. I mean, it's amazing when you let them come in there and do their deed and they have no idea you're there in the world. I mean, you even see it with guns after, you know, a, a 12 gauge ported shotgun barrel goes off that all of a sudden he has no idea what happened if you stay still. And that's just like calling to him. If you make a noise or a move or whatever, and draw their attention to you instead of what they're focused on that decoy and, and fighting and, and just beating the snot out of each other. That's when they're going to leave. And, you know, the biggest thing is, is, you know, it, it, you got to pick your, your time to move and, and, and all that stuff. Now, if it comes down to desperation and, you know, he's getting ready to, to haul the, you know, get out of town, it's, it's time to go. And, and that's just from being around them a lot. And, and you learn that, I mean, we're all going to make mistakes and that's why hunting turkey hunting is so fun. Like you said, 10% of time it, you know, you think this is the easiest thing in the world. And the other 90% of the time, you're like, How, what the heck's going on? 
if it was easy, it wouldn't be so fun and we wouldn't have as many turkey hunters, I promise you. Let's, uh, let's turn to a, a critical uh, topic here for, for bow hunting turkeys, and that's shot placement. Um, Brooks, I thought you were a big headlopper guy, but I, I kind of get in the impression that you're maybe shooting uh, more of a fixed blade broadhead or something there with your recurve because you talked about shooting through the mesh. So um, tell me about your preferred uh, broadhead for turkey hunting and hit me with the keys for shot placement from, you know, whatever angles you think sort of are ideal for taking that, that shot. Let me give you a little history on the head lopping. Okay. It's, um, I think the bug for head lopping kind of started with double bull. It's Keith, you know, Beamer was down on a trip down in Texas and he brought a buddy from Minnesota down there to shoot the self bow. So this guy's got, you know, handmade hand homemade, you know, real Turkey wing feathers that are wrapped on there like the native Americans used to do. And, and um, he might even had a stone head on there, no rest on his bow, just a, just a straight stick where he's got to shoot off the top of the sand. So they're, they're hunting down there. Turkey comes in and Keith's going to let his buddy take the first shot because he's never killed a turkey. So his buddy draws back and he shoots and he clips that turkey across the back of the head. All right. He probably missed his target by 10 inches. Clips that turkey across the back of the head. That turkey starts flopping around on the ground. Buddy jumps out of the blind, grabs it by the back leg, brings it back to the blind, throws it inside the blind because there's more turkeys gobbling. And as they're waiting for the other turkeys to come in, that turkey, he stands up inside the blind. Cause he didn't hit it with the broadhead. He must've hit it, just clipped it with the back of the arrow and just kind of conked his head funny and just knocked him silly. You know, you hear stories about that with, with bucks, but that guy did, did that with the turkey. So they had to dispatch that turkey inside the blind. But long story short, that made Keith want to shoot turkeys in the head. So the, the first turkey broadheads that we were shooting birds in the head with was the old when Eric Meredith and Greg Johnson owned uh, rocket arrowheads, you know, a couple of crazy sons of guns down in Minneapolis. And they made that, sledgehammer broadhead that was a two and three quarter cut and we figured if there's some way we could glue that head open and get it to fly that we could shoot a turkey's head off with that thing and it worked you know it worked and so for years keith was shooting them either with that or without the mechanical broadhead and as soon as um aerodynamics came out with their gobbler guillotine then the, then the guys the rest of the guys at work were just they were just bat poop crazy for that thing that was all they could shoot and that that's all we shot for years and it was a ton of fun it's a very ethical shot i mean you either realistically if you if you put that arrow where you're aiming you're either killing that turkey he ain't going nowhere or he's going to live another day which is a beautiful thing you know we all want good clean ethical kills so those Absolutely. compound guys are doing it with, with yeah you know one of the problems we run into trying to shoot those those bigger head and broadheads is the fact that to shoot that you have to expose yourself inside the blind i mean you have to open up a significant portion of the blind blind to get that big broadhead to leave the window which means you get busted by a few turkeys so you got to be ready for that you got to have the sun at your back you don't want the shadows coming in you got to have a really dark blind you you have to be very cognizant that you should have darker clothing on inside there because you're opening up so much of that blind to shoot the turkey. Now, if you can pull those things together and increase the arrow spine a little bit and get that head to fly for you in pattern, very ethical way to shoot turkeys. Of course, the other way to shoot turkeys is you're going to have to, you can't, you can't do it in a podcast. You can't do it in audio. You have to commit yourself to learning the anatomy of a turkey when it's in strut and when it's out of strut so you know exactly 
you have to know exactly where the vitals are. It's, it's a tennis ball size package that you're really trying to take out. You can get lucky hitting outside that package and still kill that bird. But you, you have to spend some time and commit yourself. Like Matt said, your resources on YouTube, just on the different websites, find out where the heart and lungs are, find out where the legs are, the major arteries, your broadhead has to go there and then get yourself a broadhead. that's going to eat up the kinetic energy available to your bow. So out of, out of my recurves and long bows, I like to shoot a three blade snuffer just because it's the biggest broadhead that'll transfer the energy for me. So it's, um, you know, two options. Um, the head's very easy to see, but it takes some homework to, to but you're, most guys are going to shoot a turkey too low when they shoot it with a bow and arrow. They're going to aim for the middle of the body, and they're not going to find that turkey. You have to understand where the vitals are from the top third of the turkey. All them vitals, a whitetail, they're nestled down to the bottom of the brisket, and a turkey, they're hunkered up in the ribs in his back. You have to know where you're shooting, or you're going to cripple turkeys by hitting them in the middle of the, in, you know, middle of the body. No, there's no doubt about and it. Think- and- Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Well, with, with archery equipment, with, you know, a lot of guys that get into shooting turkeys with a bow are relating it to deer, and it's two different things. You know, a deer, you're, you're, you're trying to get a blood trail. You're, you're working on hemorrhage. It's going to be tough to blood trail a turkey. And, you know, a lot of turkeys that are shot with a bow that aren't vitally hit in the vitals are broken down where they can't go anywhere. So, like Brooks said, man, study where the – study the, the vitals and – like you know the different body positions that a turkey will will give you when he comes in and those got to be your aiming points and you know we've all seen a turkey heart not very big and you know it it, it's it's real important for that ethical stuff i love the guys that go out there and try to take their heads off because like you know it's the most ethical way to do it and you know it's it's dang sure a challenge and but you slice his head off he ain't going nowhere Oh, that's a truer, truer statement has never been made, Matt. That's a, that, I mean, that, that's going on the wall of fame right there. That's in the all time bow hunting quotes. You slice his head off. He ain't going anywhere. End of story. Antoinette, here we go. <laughs> I got, can I tell you, can I tell you a real fast bow hunting story that happened to me last spring? Absolutely. That, like it's, uh, I'm, it's beyond believable when you're talking about broadheads. So long story short, and this is the first year in 15 years I haven't been to Oklahoma on opening day. One of my best friends um, out there that I turkey hunt with, deer hunt with, and, and you know, it happens to be a, a country music guy. And um, so Dave Parker, a friend of ours, went to work for Bear Archery and, and made a, had us made two recurves, you know, off the Fred Bear molds. And our goal was to go out there and, and shoot two turkeys with, bows that have a lot of history in archery and you know we, we all in this industry owe so much to to fred bear but long story short so i practiced with mine a lot before i got out there of course he gets home from from work and i give him the bow and we go out and he shoots four arrows and we're ready to go and he actually did pretty good so <clears throat> first turkey comes in he couldn't get the bow we weren't using a blind and we were just running and gunning like shotgun style and anyway um three gobblers come in commit to the decoys you know great stuff fan comes to us he draws back and shoots right through the fan and literally misses everything vital and this turkeys run around come back and start beating each other up and he's fishing around for another arrow and um just a regular two blade um you know bear style razor head i I don't even it it was uh i forget what their even brand is at this time but anyway the turkey takes off running and it was like a hail mary 
full court press or full court basketball. It was shot. it was it was one of those it was one of those shots that you'd never even take if you thought about it, but in the heat of the moment no. you take it. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. I got you, dude. I've taken some. It's okay. Go ahead, continue. Yeah. And this turkey's running and getting farther. It's about twenty five yards, and now he's full speed. Well, I watched the arrow arc through the air and literally take this turkey's head off on a full sprint. <laughs> like, like and like he like he tried it. It was the best thing. Words can't even describe the emotions that that happened right there. And and literally saw the turkey's head off on a running turkey. Most people, including myself, probably couldn't do that with a shotgun. Then alone uh, a a bow that you shot maybe a dozen times before you, you know yeah. you headed out, you head out there. And did you get that on film? Yes, yes, it is on film. It hasn't been released yet. Um, oh, kind of saving that one for a real special occasion. Oh my goodness! Well, you gotta you gotta be sure to text me whenever that's coming out, so you can tell me where where I can catch that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, and, and go ahead. Go in ahead. hindsight, if I if I was if I was Blake, I'd have told everybody I tried to do that. But obviously, it was you know we were laughing and crying and everything. He goes, "I'm done turkey hunting because I'll never ever duplicate that in my life." <laughs> yeah, it's one in a million, baby. One in a million. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And you know, my whole my whole career is living proof of that. <laughs> so well gentlemen, oh, I tell <laughs> Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm in on the luck factor. I'm no, no, factor, not no, no. Oh, he's trying to, deal. he's trying to dig himself out of the hole. You're off the Christmas card list, buddy. Just forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. I'm glad I didn't say it. <laughs> well, that's one listen. of those open your mouth, stick your foot in it real fast. <laughs> hey, you know, for the good of the entertainment of our audience and the bow hunters of America, I'm happy to be the butt of any joke. It's fine. You know, it's you not go. about me. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about you guys. You know, actually, in all seriousness, <laughs> one, of, one of the great things about hosting this podcast is that every week I get to be on the line with other people who are way better than I am. And so that's for the edification of our listeners and yours truly. So we're all just trying to get to where you guys are at. Oh God. So with that said, I do, I do think that we've covered, I'm sure we're at about an hour or so, maybe a little bit longer. And we've, we've covered a lot. I mean, if people will, you know, go ahead and listen to this thing and even go back through it because there's so many tidbits in what Matt and Brooks have said throughout the show. You can pick up on small things as they're telling these stories and sharing things that are critical. You know, everything from, you know, the position of the sun to your blind or reading that bird's body language or, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the weather conditions, there's a lot here. So guys, I can't thank you enough. And uh, if this isn't, you know, enough to help somebody have some things to think about and hopefully be more successful come uh, this turkey season, I, I don't know what else you can do to help them. We're Go all ahead. on the same team, whether you hunt with a bow, a gun, or slingshot, man, it, it's, it's one of the best ways to spend a day in the outdoors and and 
the biggest thing is is just learn every time you go. That's what that's what I try to tell everybody. Because if you think you know it all, you're going to get humbled. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, for sure. Cool about turkey in, in Minnesota. You know, we stocked them in the '70s, and we still only have probably forty-five thousand hunters and stuff like that. And I know a lot of deer guys. That, that deer hunting their families their whole life, multiple generations that have never been turkey hunting. And they don't like turkeys. You know, they say turkeys eat pheasant eggs. They eat quail eggs. They eat grouse eggs. They, they mess up their deer hunts. They do this, they do that. And I'm like, dude, we're going next spring. And you take that guy out that next spring on, on the right time. And you, and you let him enjoy some of the show, hear the goblin, see the strutting, get him in there close 10, 15 yards. They'll never badmouth the turkey again. They fall in love with the wild turkey when they're exposed to it. It's just a, it's just a wonderful game animal. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't think we're going to have any shortage of turkey hunters this spring because the way everyone's been cooped up, as we, <laughs> as we said at the beginning, even if you hate turkey hunting, you're going turkey hunting this year because you're going. Yep. You're anything going. Yep. to get out of the house. You know, I mean, I'm not a huge fisherman and Pennsylvania opened up trout season actually two weeks or about a week and a half early here just this past week. And like, you better believe I had my fishing tackle out and I was on the stream that afternoon because I was pretty desperate for a reason to leave the house. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot. And I, and I do predict this. I'll just leave you guys with this. You can give me a quick reaction and then we'll wrap it up. And this isn't specific to turkey hunting, but my prediction for 2020 is with all this coronavirus stuff and and it's no doubt it's already pretty much destroyed uh hunting travel for the spring and and of course we don't know you know what that's going to look like for the fall hopefully we're more or less back to normal and we can do all the trips that we've planned but regardless of that i think the participation in hunting and fishing close to home for people you know wherever you live across this country I would be shocked if, if there weren't more people uh, getting after it this year because there's going to be a, a huge pent-up demand uh, to, to get outdoors. And if you're not able to take any of those trips, you're going to be absolutely uh, pounding the uh, woods and waters around home. So uh, I hope that's the case. You know, it would be good for all of us from an industry perspective, from the from a from a perspective of hunting and fishing. And uh, time will tell, but that's my prediction. Yeah, it, it's going to be different this year. I'll, I'll tell you the end of May if it's better or worse, but it's definitely going to be different. <laughs> yep. Well, I wish you. You know that. Well, Christian, that's why I'm working where I'm working because I'm just trying to make sure the future is better than than it, than it is right now. And this is the year that all of everybody, industry, you know, where, wherever you're at, whether you you're, no matter what you are, in, 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 in even if you're just a hunter. That, that doesn't make a living somewhere in the hunting industry like like we've been fortunate to do it's time this is the time that we're going to get more people involved and and i can tell you from our organization here in pennsylvania from from the game commission we're seeing it we're seeing we you know we've offered online hunter it and opened it up during the you know the COVID 19 deal and and we're double and triple the graduates in the last 40 days over year to year. So we're seeing a difference. People want to get out there. They're feeling safe and they understand more now of things they probably took for granted or didn't make time to do. So, you know, as we're trying to increase participation across the country, it's time for everybody to look at that because if we just give a little more back, we're going to get a lot more in return as far as, you know, just publicizing and, and 
making sure people know what hunting is a true conservation tool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, gentlemen, let's hope that that does come to fruition. You know, we see a continuation uh, of that uh, growing interest. I wish both of you the very best of success this spring. Uh, May, may, this isn't very politically correct, but I'm going to say may heads be lopped and may the flop not be stopped. That's my poem for you, you the gentlemen. Best, we wish you the best of luck, Christian. <laughs> you, you should. You should wish me the best of luck. I, I, I need all the luck I can get because it's the only time I ever kill anything is when I have luck. You gotta have it. Got I'm never gonna live that one down. No, no, you I'm gonna, won't. And, I'm gonna and, pay for that. And with that, I will say goodbye and good riddance. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. 